Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. As a social worker, how were you able to like save up that much money? Yeah. Like, what were you doing to like scrounge and feel? Oh to- yeah, yeah. When I worked at LA County Jail, I just I'd work like ten hours of overtime every week, and within a few years, I was able to save up about fifty thousand dollars. So I spent about sixteen thousand of that buying that duplex, okay. mm. and then I spent another twenty thousand renovating it. You weren't living in the duplex, right? You were just like renting, or you, oh, yeah, you were. Yeah, I did move into it. I used an okay. FHA loan, so mm-hmm. I moved into it and I renovated it right away, and then I lived in it for about a year before before I moved out and put a tenant in place. Have you like kept that property? I actually sold it this past year right before the market shifted. I was gonna trade it in, I was gonna 1031 into yeah. a fourplex. Uh-huh. Within that weekend, uh, the interest rates went up. <laughs> and at the same time, I got a ginormous tax bill, which right. is, means you made a lot of money, which I decided, well, I guess I'll just pay that tax bill because I uh-huh. suddenly have a few hundred thousand. But yeah, that one, one plex that I spent 35,000 all in mm-hmm. um, returned to me 250,000 four years later. Hey guys, welcome to the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. I'm an Oregon and Washington realtor, and I invest in multifamily and short-term rentals. Hey everyone, I'm your co-host Jordan Lee, uh, mortgage lender licensed in about nine or ten states. Uh, I'm based here in Portland, Oregon, and I invest in single-family homes. And we're in the process of getting Fine. a duplex as yeah, well. Excited. Um, and Jordan, who did we interview today? Oh yeah, we had a we had a really good interview. I you know I went to an, an event. Um, about a month and a half ago and I met Melissa Dorman who was speaking there and I was like oh man you did a great job speaking about um, mindset manifestation and investing in real estate so I wanted to have her come on the show and share her story with you guys yeah no she has a really great story Uh, she's coming from the uh, world of social work Mm -hmm. uh, and then decided that she wanted to be a real estate investor with very little money so she has an amazing story uh, starting with very little just getting in uh, having the right mindset just get going and like I said, she's made amazing progress in the last five to six years uh, with her real estate portfolio, her real estate team, I mean, creating a coaching program, a book, etc. So, I mean, you know, it's an amazing program, uh, amazing uh, example of what you can do if you put your mind to it. So, yep, this is a great episode. Tune in if you want to learn more about mindset. Hey, guys, welcome to the Realize Gains podcast. This is episode 58. I'm Stephen Tran. And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, and we are super excited to have Melissa Dorman on the on the show today. Um, hey, just you want real quick, you want to give us a quick introduction? I, I, yeah, I know you're not from Portland, so you're going to maybe tell your story about how you, how you got here, and then um, maybe eventually talk a little bit about how you got into real estate. Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from L.A. Um, I was a social worker for a long time, mm. and um, my ex-wife at the time, she got into Portland State University. And oh, okay. I just started um, getting into real estate, learning about stuff. And when I looked at the numbers in Portland versus LA getting started <laughs> as a, in a real estate investor, I realized Portland would be an excellent spot to land. Okay. And, and what about 
I don't hear a lot of like social workers coming into real estate. Talk to me <laughs> about that that leap and where where did that? I mean, obviously the skills though. I think there's a yeah. lot of skill set that's similar. How did that transfer take place, or what kind of drew you towards real estate? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, I was working in LA County Jail at the time, and I was processing inmates mm. and jail you have a lot of downtime even when you're a social <laughs> oh worker. really yeah yeah i would okay. have because i would just be waiting for inmates so so you were through. a captive there in the mm-hmm. in the jail like you were only work for them it wasn't like yeah a, okay yeah, interesting yeah. so i was just processing inmates as they came in which mm-hmm. is unpredictable so i had a lot of downtime between that and at the time my family i was going through a crisis my my dad um had alzheimer's and he was getting sicker and sicker and um for a lot of people that don't know it's like seven thousand dollars a month for full-time caretaker <sighs> to come in and start taking care of somebody oh, who yeah. has you know dementia and that sort of thing and so my family didn't have the resources they hadn't prepared adequately and I was a brand new social worker not making even seven thousand dollars a month <laughs> right, let alone. They, yeah the income <laughs> from a social worker isn't exactly able to yeah. support that either so I realized wow I really need to figure figure this out like mm-hmm. uh, my dad was the hardest working man I knew he had worked uh, 50 years as a roofer and you know six seven days a week with nothing to show for it and that was my big wake-up call I started studying how to build wealth and I stumbled into real estate as a mm. get rich slow and uh, dumb process it's not that hard oh um, interesting so it was more yeah. you kind of got into it from the in perspective of okay i need to like <clears throat> figure out a way to have sustainable finance mm-hmm. um and then you looked at a few different options but real estate was the one that kind of made sense to you yeah it was the easiest most practical way you know you can get into stocks and that sort of thing a lot of the stuff is much more technical versus mm-hmm. real estate it's a business model that's been done many many times there's so many landlords there's different ways to do it of course but yeah. it's a pretty simple business plan uh, yeah i mean i think we all understand how like renting and owning owning property works compared to like you know <laughs> doing some sort of weird trading strategies yeah, right yeah exactly okay cool and and um so you so you came up to Portland. You were already interested in in real estate investing at that point. W- were you planning on becoming a real estate agent as well, or was it kind of the natural progression? Yeah. Or how did that part work? Yeah. So basically, I moved up to Portland, and I, before that, I'd spent a year, about twenty hours a week, while I was working in the jails, in between inmates, just waiting. And I started reading books, listening mm. to podcasts, mm-hmm. and just kind of growing my knowledge for a whole year. And then when I moved up to Portland, I started hitting the ground running. So I, I sent out some direct mail, and within a few months, um, I was in contract on my first duplex. Wow. And I was so excited, but I knew nothing. So <laughs> I, I like literally found a few investors in Portland, and I said, Hey, can you do the walk? through with me and let me know what you think really? and um good friend mike nuss who's you know oh, local, yeah. a local guy here uh-huh. um he walked through and he looked at me and said if you don't buy it i will <laughs> and so i realized at that moment that i had a gem and um, and how did you like get connected to the community uh, the real estate community because i know for a lot of people that are like trying to get their toes in it's it's kind of a it's a hard thing because like you you want to be able to trust people <clears throat> but you kind of don't know where to look yeah, yeah. I, I just started looking online on Bigger Pockets and trying mm-hmm. to see which sort of uh, real estate events were local. And then literally day two of getting here, I started going to what's now called Investor Lab. Which oh, right, right. Like okay, runs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that became a big um, source of networking for me. I started meeting people and getting to know their stories. And that's why Mike was able to walk through with me. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, they do a great job. Mm-hmm, so do. when you came over here, were you still doing social work? Did you like transfer a job here? or? Yeah, great question. So when I first um, came up here, I actually was working in Salem at the psych ward. And so similar forensic um, um, social work, uh, helping folks get sane before trial, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I did that for about a year um, as I found that first property. 
And um, after I bought that property, about two months later, the tenant had moved out and I got the call um, that my dad was dying. And so for me, that was a pivotal moment. You know, I, I saw my dad as this amazing uh, guy who had worked so hard in his life and, and at the end having nothing to show for it. So when he passed away, I took some FMLA and I just really thought about my life choices. And I decided in that moment that I wasn't gonna go back to work as a social worker full time, that mm. I would do whatever it took to build my own portfolio and, and to become an investor. So it was a bold move. Honestly, I only had about $16,000 in my bank account at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something I would advise anybody to do, but um, I jumped into um, becoming uh, first uh, an investor, but I got my realtor license so I could facilitate the um, off-market transactions that I was doing. Okay, two questions. F FMLA. Yeah. What? What? Explain that. Oh, FMLA is, I think, Family Medical Leave Act. It's like when you okay. have a crisis in your family, you're allowed to take some time off of work, and oh, they'll, right, sometimes right, right. they'll pay you some uh, like uh, different circumstances. But okay. I took that because my dad had died. And um, like 16 grand, you say that's not a lot. It doesn't feel like a lot now. I remember when I got into real estate, I thought I had a lot. When I had ten thousand dollars, it was yeah. like in in my bank account was the most I'd ever had, and I was like, oh yeah, I got plenty. <laughs> like you said, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Um, as a social worker, how were you able to like save up that much money? Yeah. Like what were you doing to like scrounge and be oh, able to? Yeah. yeah, when I worked at LA County Jail, I just, I'd work like 10 hours of overtime every week. And within a few years, I was able to save up about $50,000, which was my initial nest egg. So I spent about 16,000 <coughs> of that buying that duplex. Okay. And mm. then I spent another 20,000 renovating it. And so when everything was said and done and my bills were paid, I had 16,000 left. Okay, so you were pretty much just any opportunity to work extra hours, you were yeah. pulling it in. Yeah, whatever I needed to do to get started. So were you, were you, you weren't living in the duplex, right? You were just like renting or, you, oh yeah, you were? Yeah, I did move into it. I used an okay. FHA loan, so mm -hmm. I moved into it and I renovated it right away, um, really shined it up, and then I lived in it for about a year before um, before I moved out and, and put a tenant in place. Okay. Oh, nice. And did, have you like kept that property and are continuing to rent it or did you trade it or what did you do with it? Yeah, great question. So I, I actually sold it this past year right before the market shifted. And my idea at the time was I was going to trade it in. I was going to 1031 into yeah. a fourplex. Uh -huh. And just the way the market went within that weekend, uh, the interest rates went up. <laughs> and yeah. all of a sudden, no fourplex penciled. And at the same time, I got a ginormous tax bill, which right. is, means you made a lot of money, which is right. a good thing. Yep. Um, and so I decided well, I guess I'll just pay that tax bill because I uh -huh. suddenly have a few hundred thousand. But yeah, that one one plex that I spent, I guess maybe thirty five thousand all in, mm -hmm. um, returned to me two hundred fifty thousand four years later. Wow, that's amazing! Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, timing is obviously important, <clears throat> but it just—I mean—it goes to show that when you when you buy a place and remodel it, it you know. Yeah, it builds value. Builds value. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and so you. You said you quit your job. You have $16,000 in your bank account. I mean, what, what was your next step to get started as an investor? Like, what, what, what did you do to change your life at that point? Because $16,000 can't really buy you a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I, I teamed up with um, a real estate investor and also an attorney who is a real estate investor. And what we did is the attorney would find the default of notice. So that's a notice that's sent to somebody when they haven't paid their mortgage. <coughs> mm -hmm. It's not a pre-foreclosure letter, but it just starts the process of right. foreclosure. And so this is not public knowledge or anything, but mm -hmm. I would take those and then I would skip trace people. I would cold, cold call, call uh, 10 hours a week and just try to get in their living room. And to be honest, it was a lot like social work. You know, mm -hmm. the people that I was yep. coming into, they had big life problems. They were in denial about their house being in foreclosure and they didn't want to make a move, but I would sit with them, talk with them. I'm help them. Of those people, like how many of them could understand what that letter meant? 
Because I, I, I like yeah. for me when I'm looking at disclosures with my clients all the time, the legal language is yeah. it's like a joke. Like it nobody is, yeah. can understand. Like even I'm looking at that, I'm like, I don't want yeah, to. I have yeah. to ask somebody because to me it looks exactly like it's saying one thing, but yeah. it's totally not what it's saying. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And a lot of these folks, this wasn't the first time they got that letter. I mean, I, I met people that were in foreclosure for seven years, ten wow. years, and they were used to being behaviorally trained that I don't need to pay my mortgage and I can still live here for ten years. Jeez. So when I showed up in their <clears> living room and I was like, no, you're really going to go to foreclosure this time. Everything's starting to go in that direction. I'd really like to help you, you know, cash for keys, do something creative here so we can get you out of your home other than a sheriff showing up, which mm-hmm. is going to, is what would happen. Um, and so I did that for about a year. And uh, after a year, it just felt really hard. <laughs> like yeah. these are really, really devastating situations. And I did about 15 of those transactions and I learned a lot, but I realized after that, that I, I really wanted to just do something uh, more traditional. So I started a retail okay. uh, level, like um, residential realtor team after that. Mm. Mm. So you, you did 15 transactions where you were picking up these properties mm-hmm. yourself? Okay. Um, not myself. Uh, I, so at the time, I was either giving them to the attorney or to my business partner. And it was under the idea that eventually I would get to keep some of these deals. But we got 15 in, and I did my count, and I had zero. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm doing a lot of work and not getting mm. what I was promised. So it's time to end this partnership and start a new one. Doing a lot of the grunt work but not getting any of the equity yeah. out of it. Oh. Yeah. It was a great experience, though. A lot of mentorship. I learned a mm-hmm. ton. Um, I made deals out of that for myself that weren't part of that that process, so it was worth it. It's a great mentality to have, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you you went on and to start your own team, and w- what made you want to do that over just like you know going off on your own and selling houses? And why why did you go the team route? Yeah, so I. Um, basically was in the middle of a divorce with my ex-wife and I was so used to making about $3,000 a month as a social worker Mm. and all of a sudden I owed her $2,000 and after taxes that would be $3,000 that I need and so all of a sudden I had to double my income and so I thought okay I need to think strategically and bigger than I have been Um, and so I was in the middle of selling a fourplex and the buyer agent who brought the buyer asked me out to uh, drink afterwards and was kind of telling me about you know, he wanted me to be on his team and this sort of thing. And I just ended a business partnership where I wasn't being very appreciated. And so I said, no, I won't work for you, but we could partner. And and, um, he was open to that idea. And so I sort of asked him, like, what are you what are you bringing to the table? And he spout off a bunch of stats that I didn't understand because I wasn't used to being a residential <laughs> realtor. I didn't know gross commit, you know, all that stuff. And and at the end of what he said, he's like, I make about 450 a year. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> that that I, can, I can work with that. And so it was great. We ended up um, because I was so new in real estate, you know, he didn't know my ability, nor did I. Right. So I created a, a nice waterfall structure for us where I said, if I double the income of the business, we'll start 80, 20. All the profit, 80% goes to him, 20% to me. But if I double the business, if we're making 900 collectively, then I want to be 60, 40 partners. And if I triple the business, um, then I want to be 50, 50. And Mm. so, you know, he signed on that thinking like, that's never going to happen. But six months later, I did double the business. Wow. I mean, that's huge. And like, why would you say no to that? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It was mutually beneficial. And I tripled the business in 18 months. So like, it was uh, an incredible growth opportunity for both of us. Um, can I ask, like, what were you showing for him to obviously take you to, you know, to get drinks and talk about? Oh, right. Yeah. So in that transaction, what ended up happening is the appraiser 
was a fool and <laughs> said that the fourplex wasn't a fourplex. So I said, oh gosh, I've done this so many times. So I just went down to the city as an investor does. Mm -hmm. I showed the historical records that it had been originally a fourplex. I, I solved the problem in about two hours. The problem was gonna blow up the whole transaction. Right. Yeah. And most realtors would be, I don't know what to do. You know, they would yep. be completely dumbfounded, but right. I just like went that afternoon and fixed it. And he was like, whoa, you know what you're doing. So that's why he was interested. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what strategies did you pull into, like, getting into your realtor business, what strategies did you pull into double the business, triple the business in uh, that short amount of time? Yeah, great question. So um, I was in a coaching program that advised me the first thing you do is you hire an, a virtual assistant, administrative assistant, and you teach them every single thing you possibly can <coughs> on what they can do behind a computer yeah. so that you're putting yourself as the you know best and highest use which is in front of new clients and so your your focus is on lead generation and and not on paperwork mm. and so that's what I did I, I spent a long time I created all these videos and I put them on a platform and so every single task that I could possibly think of we offloaded and that just immediately opened up the floodgates for for us to be able to work harder and make more money mm. and once I had a really solid admin in place then I one at a time we'd hire an agent same sort of process. I had all these trainings built up and they could like, you know, get plugged right into the team. And then as soon as they were successful, we'd hire the next one and the next one. Okay. So a lot of systems. And what was your kind of your pull or how did you recruit agents in, in, in a way like that? You know, what, what, what was the draw? Mm. Uh, we have a pretty generous um, package for folks, you know, we provide a lot of the leads. So we pay for Zillow leads and that sort of thing. And then a lot of broker or a lot of teams will only offer a buyer agent maybe 20% or 30%, but mm -hmm. we start off at 50 and they have the opportunity to earn up to 65% of their commissions if they bring in the lead source or start doing a higher volume of leads mm -hmm. and, or of, of transactions. Okay, so it's more just kind of like, you know, we, we offer the leads and then here's your kind of pay structure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay, and and you work in the great. You this is all in the umbrella of Living Room Realty. The, mm -hmm. or, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Our teams at Living Room Realty were, were the catalyst group. Okay, got it. Got yeah. it. Did you end up staying with that partner, or are you still yeah. working with that partner right now? Yeah, yeah. His name's Yasha Newberg. We've been uh, business partners for five years. Okay. Uh, it's been a really amazing journey. We we complement each other really well. Yeah. Nice. And so, and since then, what have you kind of been focusing on in terms of your investment strategy? Um, I know from hearing you speak earlier, there was a, you had a pretty interesting story about getting into a, I think it was a three or fourplex on, in the Mississippi neighborhood um, with like low money down. Like mm -hmm. what have you been doing creatively to like keep building your portfolio? Yeah, I've, I've uh, really focused on creative financing and so, um, you know, whether it be seller financing or, um, you know, I do a lot of like private money lending on my current properties that have enough equity so that I can go buy another property mm -hmm. conventionally. Um, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of creative strategies, uh, integrating seller financing usually. Okay. And how do you, a lot of our, you know, colleagues, friends and other investors, especially love the idea of seller financing. Um, you know, typically what Stephen, what do we say? It's like everyone wants to put zero down and get yeah. zero. Oh, yeah. But like, how do you, I mean, to me, it's always like it has to be a win-win scenario, right? Yeah. For the seller and, and for the buyer. How do you like go about seeking that out or structuring it? Um, what what's, what's, would be some advice you would give on that? Yeah, I think, I think it's really important to focus on the other person's needs, desires, wants, and to really understand what it is you're crafting and tailoring to meet their needs. Mm. So in such a way that 
when you propose the idea, it almost sounds like it's coming from them because okay. you've listened so well to what they need. And I think about it in terms of four levers. And so you have down payment, mm. you have purchase price, mm. you have the term, the length of the note, and you have the interest rate. And so when I'm talking to a seller, I'm trying to suss out what is their most important few levers. Mm. And whatever one's not important, then that's the ones I'm going to pull for myself in order to meet their needs and mine. Right. Um, so that's kind of the the path that I use. Is there like one deal that could, that you've done recently or maybe that stands out in particular that would be a good example of how you kind of have used that, employed that strategy? Yeah, so I'll share the one that I shared that oh, okay. night too. Um, so I basically was cold calling for about 10 hours a week um, when I was initially in that first business that I started. And, and I came across a, a bankruptcy attorney. His name was Kelly. And uh, I didn't really know that he was a bankruptcy attorney. I was calling <laughs> what I didn't know was a dead guy at the time. Mm. Um, but this turned out to be his attorney. And then he informed me that he was dead. And that was a little awkward. Um, <laughs> but we started up a conversation because he's a bankruptcy attorney. And I was a pre-foreclosure realtor. So uh -huh. a lot of the overlap in our yep. clients. So we built this friendship on that. And one day, about three, four months into it, he texted me and asked me to do like a comparative market report to tell him how much his triplex was worth. And mm. when I looked it up, I could see that he'd owned it for 20 years. And for me, that's like a, that's it. That's like your, your, you know, your flag. That's what you're looking for. Somebody who owns property for a long time and has a lot of equity. So when I showed up to do the walkthrough, um, I, you know, he showed me all the units, two of them were vacant. And before I could even say anything to him, he actually turned to me and said, I'd really like to seller finance <laughs> to somebody. So and it was like, you, had you ever talked to him about seller financing on other deals no, or anything? No, I'd never brought it up. We were really casual friends at that point. And what's great is like six months prior to that, every single day in the morning, I would have this affirmation of I'm going to buy an off market property using seller financing with little or no money down. And like, that was just like your manifestation yeah, in the morning or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm going to find this. So. Yeah. Cause I didn't have very much money. I only had that $16,000 right. and I was quickly burning through that. And I was hardly making any money on these transactions as a realtor. And so I really needed to find something and I, and I wasn't really bank financeable, you know, I just right. quit my job as a social worker. So I really needed this creative financing to work. So anyways, we, we sat down that night to iron out the details. And at first he wanted 10% down, which would about, about 75,000 and right. I didn't have it. And so I said, well, how much would you need to foreclose on me? <laughs> <laughs> Very smart when you're talking to a bankruptcy yeah. attorney who knows how to do that. Yeah, and so he thought about it for a second. He said about 15000 I said, well, okay, let's do that. That's about a 2% down payment, by the way, right. for reference. And I said, great, well, why don't we do that? Because then you could use my own money to foreclose on me if I don't pay you. And he said, well, that makes a lot of sense. And besides, he can continue to make money on the, the principal right. if there's more of it there. So yeah. um, so he was open to that. And then um, another thing that I creatively used is I said, well, what about um, you have two vacant units right now, right? So how am I going to pay you in 30 days or 15 days or whatever right after we close on this when I don't have that money coming in? So I asked him, how about you give me about two months to get them rented up and we can put all of that principal and whatever I was going to pay you and we can put it on the top of the loan. So you're going to make interest on interest. Doesn't that sound great? And he said, yeah, that sounds so great and it makes a lot of sense. So what ended up happening is I didn't have $15,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As mentioned before, I was very broke. So I made a phone call to some friends in LA who had, had seen my capabilities of managing money and um, they lent me $10,000. And so I, I worked it out that I would pay them off in the first year with the cash flow of that property, the way that we had it structured, I would have enough money for that. And um, so I just had to come in with like $7,000 to closing, which was great. Um, oh, because the other eight was 
closing costs was, and yeah, 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 right, and right, the rest right. of the down payment. So what was great is I, I spent the initial, you know, two months re-renting those two units and I recouped 6,500 of it. So by the time I actually owed him a payment, I was about $500 in on a triplex near Mississippi <laughs> Avenue. Amazing. Yeah, that cash load. <laughs> yeah, on Mississippi, like in the popular area of Mississippi? Um, just on the other side by interstate. Oh, so okay. yeah, like walking okay. distance, yeah. but not quite, you know, right on. I mean, it. that's yeah. still a great area. Yeah. yeah and so. so how did he, how did you structure the, the seller financing? So this was a time market rates <coughs> were, what were they in that time? Like four. Okay, so yeah. rates were pretty low. So yeah. what, so you negotiated what on the, the the loan finance? Yeah, I did five and a half percent interest only payments, mm-hmm. and so that allowed it to cash flow really well, right. so I could pay off that first uh, or the second mortgage, uh, uh-huh. the ten thousand, uh-huh. and also left some money on the table for me each month, so I could take care of the tenants really well. It was very responsible. And you did it over how many years? So that note, I think, was going to be about five years, but um, actually two two years into it, it was going really well. But rates had dropped down to like two, three <laughs> percent. Yeah, so all of a yeah. sudden, my five and a half percent wasn't looking so great. It looks good now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Like at this time, we're like, that's just so greedy to think yeah, about that. Yeah, I know, that. right? Yeah, <laughs> so I called him up and I said, hey, you know, would you be open to doing something kind of creative with me? Um, and, you know, by that point, we'd had a few years together. They saw that I'd pay my payments every time on time and that I was, you know, very responsible and growing my other business, too, so they, they could trust me. And so I said, okay, well, I owe you about 700000 left on that triplex. Would you be okay with me splitting that note, that promissory note, into two, so like about three hundred and fifty each? And I'll take one of those notes and put it in second position on a few of my other properties, Right. Oh, so you were pushing it out. Yeah, putting it on some other properties that had plenty of equity for right, right. plenty of cash flow, but it was mm-hmm. gonna not be on that triplex anymore, which meant that only three hundred and fifty thousand was remaining on the triplex. And then you could do a conventional Yeah, so yeah, then yeah. I did a cash out refi, you know, at like four percent right, right. non owner yeah. occupied and yep. I pulled out two hundred and five thousand. Um, from that triplex, and then I put it on a, a down payment for a 20 unit in Ohio. So it's like $500 ended up being 23 units and about $2 million worth of real estate. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and a cash load. You know? <laughs> this was at over how long of a time period? That was uh, about two years. Over yeah, two years. About two wow. years yeah. And I, I mean, I, I want to bring it back to basics. Like you, you mentioned that this uh, bankruptcy lawyer had this property for 20 years, and you're mm-hmm. like, this is exactly what yeah. I'm looking for. Like, why is it? Because he had so much equity in the mm-hmm. property. Can you yeah. kind of explain that to our, our viewers? Absolutely. So basically, w- what I'm looking for is somebody who has a lot of equity who doesn't want to be a landlord anymore. And preferably, they already understand what seller financing is because I don't want to pitch anything to them. My goal is not to educate them about seller financing. My goal is they already understand that and and they they see it mutually beneficial. So that's like real estate professionals, Anybody attorneys, in the 70s. yeah, attorneys, the attorneys yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. Older folks that mm-hmm. ha- have experienced higher rate time yeah. periods that mm-hmm. are, that you know that have made some real estate trades. Yeah. So those would all be kind of good targets mm-hmm. for people that understand how seller finance works. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. in this situation, I'm assuming he just wanted to spread out his capital gains. Yes. That, so that's. Yeah, yeah. If you think about his situation, you know, it's like why would he agree to all those crazy terms that I got? Well, let's focus on his situation. Yeah. So, in his situation, had he sold that on market? at like 750 and after commissions maybe he would have about 730 then he'd pay taxes he'd have about 540 mm-hmm. so the return that he'd have to make on 540 would be an 8% return in order to make the exact same payment I was paying him right. at 5 and a half right. on the whole amount so it really was much more beneficial for him and and so since then have you it, 
did you have? Do you still have some of those notes that are mm-hmm. outstanding? So you're still paying him on those notes. So he's still just getting yeah. it regularly. Yeah, okay. on that on that second uh, position note, I'm still paying him on that. So right. he's he's getting good money on that, and he's lent me on other projects as well. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's kind of at this point, it's more of a partnership than anything, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're dear friends these days. Yeah. Interesting. That's wow, awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, you know, in in real estate, it's often like, oh, let's target the person who doesn't know better or who's in a desperate situation or is, yeah. you know, at the end of their life and they're struggling, or whatever. It's always like looking for the person who's in despair. But seller financing is different. It's about finding the person who's your colleague, who understands what they're doing, who's uh, intelligent, and who. Um, it's just trying to craft something that, that works for us both. It's a much different uh, demographic. Right, right. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a lot of real estate and mortgage professionals that bought a bunch of homes, mm. you know, in the early 2000s, right, that yeah. are retiring now that that own them free and clear or close to yeah. it that probably understand seller financing and are probably in this I had a client just recently that I talked to that was like, yeah, I'll probably be interested in doing yeah. some seller financing in the next few years. So I think, yeah, I think you make a great point about um, looking for somebody that understands it already instead of having to yeah. shove it down there. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. want to do seller financing, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard, <laughs> that's a hard pull there. Yeah, I, I, also, I also think it's better on the conscious, yeah. conscience, yeah, you know, absolutely. when you do it that way, when you're yeah. working with somebody who knows what they're doing instead of trying to explain. I mean, I still get overwhelmed with seller yeah. finance. I've yeah. been in real estate for like the last five years, yeah. you know, yeah. so. It's technical. Throwing that at somebody who, is going through a you know a personally mm-hmm. bad situation financially maybe yeah. a family situation that might be tough and then trying to you know purchase a home from them and trying to educate them on that uh, sounds yeah. like a lot of work and a lot of stress yeah yeah, yeah. it's better to find yeah I, I think we make it more complicated than it is though right I mean basically you're just getting a loan from from a person, from a person right yeah. instead of going through the more complicated process mm-hmm. of getting it done through a bank and getting the underwriting done and you know paying all these seven yeah. different seven different mm-hmm. entities that you need to pay when you're when you're buying a house, right? Yeah, yeah, it's actually much more simple just paying the, the seller directly, but um, because we've been so conditioned in society to always use a bank in order to make a large purchase, right. people are just weary of it because they don't understand how simple it is to put all that money back in their pockets versus yeah. Chase Bank or something. Well, I'll say this, I mean, kind of, it, at the end of the day, you know what number you need to hit every yeah. single month in terms of uh, the rents coming in mm-hmm. and your payments that mm-hmm. make sense for you. So it, it kind of gives you a good, Bar just like I yeah. need to hit this, and if it doesn't get there, then yeah. it doesn't make sense to buy it with seller financing. If yeah. they can't reach your number, then I mean that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, it's it's kind of interesting because when you think of all those different levers that you can pull, a lot of people get really fixated on price. And like if you think about it, you know, let's say there's a property worth five hundred thousand today, mm. I'd pay a million dollars for that if they gave me a thirty year loan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's going to be worth so much more than a million dollars in 30 years. Right, right, right. As long as the other terms were good, you know. If yeah, I mean, really if you don't have to come rate, in with any cash and you yeah. get a good interest rate, why not, right? Yeah, as long as it, like your point, as long as it's penciling, I, you know. Exactly. I, I don't, I'm not so concerned about value. I'm more concerned about how do the numbers work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I play with that all the time. Like, I've worked with, well, when I was uh, first in real estate, I had a couple people who wanted to get into seller finance, they had no idea. Yeah. And they kept throwing throwing out offers that were crazy. Like, I'm going to pay $200,000 over, and I also want to put down, I don't know, $5,000. Yeah, you know? exactly. I'm just like, how does this work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? All day, that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was like, and, and I want a 2% interest rate or something mm-hmm. crazy. And yeah, so those, those I got a, Yeah, I got a lot of... Uh, 
balks from the, the <laughs> other the, the other agents and sellers too. So I, I didn't really understand what I was doing. This is like brand when I was brand new in my career. So yeah. like that's why I still get overwhelmed because I think about those times and I was yeah. like, I'm putting out this offer and I don't really understand <laughs> it. So you know. oh yeah. Um, is there any like is there a way to do like a crash? Would you suggest anything for a crash course to learn seller financing other than just doing it? What what is the best way to learn? Yeah. So I I actually learned. Um, from a guy named Greg Pinio. He, he, he has a program, um, it's called Power Players, and it's like a four or five day intensive program, um, and it teaches you how to you know negotiate, how to structure things uh, in much more detail than we're going over today. And so mm-hmm. that program really taught me to think differently and to also imagine that I, that I could do something like buy an off-market <laughs> triplex with $500. Yeah, so when I heard you speak, um, you know, last month you, you mentioned a, a book and I, and I read that book and one of the, my takeaways was she, like, ta- she was a coach, right? And she talked about mm. if you're going to coach at X level, you need to spend X amount of money mm. and coach yourself, to, yeah. right? So it sounds like you, in part, in, in learning how to do real estate, you've invested mm. in your education yes. um, and, and maybe some coaching as well too. Um, and I think you have like a really good mindset. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, how, how that, have, like has that always been something that you, has been a part of you or kind of recently you've gotten more into that or how, how does that factor into your business? Yeah, so I, I did a lot of self-educating initially like with Bigger Pockets and podcasts like that and books and whatnot from the library. But there's only so much that you can teach yourself mm-hmm. um, you, when it gets to that granular level of your actual business. Um, I've, I've really uh, adopted some coaches. So for, yeah, seller financing, Greg Pinio taught me a lot of things. Uh, he also has a great community of people that I would then spend time with who also thought like that and were doing deals that were structured creatively. Mm. Um, so surrounding myself with people who were higher achieving than me, who knew more than me, was critical in my growth and development because we really do become the sum of the five people that we spend time with. Mm. So I started putting that social pressure on me in a really positive way and started hanging out with people that were growing faster and bigger than I was. And then the other thing is, yeah, when I started my realtor team, I also hired a, a coach to, to help me build that team. And I think it's, mm. I think it, uh, coaching is really critical to, you know, I do coaching now with other folks and it's so important to have somebody asking those hard questions. And also th- they're going to see things that you could never even see because you haven't been there and you don't even know the question to ask. And so, yeah, it's been critical towards my, my growth and development as both a, you know, bro- um, a, a team owner and also uh, in my own portfolio. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And, and is there like a, a rule of thumb in terms of like how much you feel like you should spend um, mm. on time or like money investment into like, you know, your personal coaching or personal growth and mm. development versus like marketing and other types of spends that, mm. that people do in their business practice? I mean, I think every business is going to be a little different in that um, I don't have like a percentage that I would spend, but... I think what most people get wrong is they think if they do the coaching, they're going to get better. Mm. Or they think if they take the program that that means they're going to get better, and they're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's not just a pay-to-play type thing. Yeah. It's really critical. Whatever you invest in for your education, you have to be very invested in doing whatever they say to do. Right. Um, And if you don't have that, then don't buy the next book. Like, don't don't even spend money on Amazon doing that. Like, you should, you have to have the level of commitment of like, I'm going to do this program. I'm I'm, going to treat it like, you know, like this is my new life mission and I'm going to do exactly what they said because if it has worked for them and many other people, then it's going to work for me too if I apply myself. Mm, So it's more about, I mean, yes, it's important, the education, but you really got to apply it. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like, 
when I went to culinary school, most of the kids didn't want to be there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I distinctly remember that. And like most of them didn't get hired, right? Mm-hmm. Because that wasn't, they just. were there just because for whatever reason. Yeah. It's yeah, a lot of money out. to spend to not want to be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the case for yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, most people agree. I mean, there's, there's probably a ton of people that spend money on real estate education, mm-hmm. but then never mm-hmm. go and invest, right? Yeah. yeah. I see it all the time. Yeah. I, oh, actually, I think I think that's pretty common in our industry. That's why yeah. we have so much of a huge drop off in both uh, realtors and lenders. Yeah, <laughs> especially oh, yeah. when rates get bad. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Dropping like flies. <laughs> and and you you talked a little bit about like the process of manifestation and how you kind of wake up and you're like, <clears throat> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this find this seller carry deal and I, you know you do it every morning. Um, how, how much of that is that something you still practice every day and is there some sort of suggestion you have for people that are interested in that but kind of like maybe don't believe in it or, yeah. or you know feel weird yeah. about it yeah yeah I um, I really started implementing like affirmations and visualizations and uh, kind of the process of manifestation is retraining your brain to think and believe new thoughts and beliefs and uh, it sounds like, you know, like same thing for hypnotism, actually. I just started seeing a hypnotist oh, this really? year. Yeah. And, and people are always like, well, did you go to sleep? It's like, no, no, you're missing <clears throat> what hypnotism is. Hypnotism is teaching your brain to think differently using visual imagery and creating an experience so that you actually like have a lived experience that supports that belief. And so, so it's kind of like a next level of manifestation, like someone's kind of helping you with that visual process and helping you manifest in an, in a, in a further way. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, um, like the reason you're doing affirmations and visualizations and that sort of thing is because you have all of these lived experiences that tell you getting into real estate is going to be too scary. Right. (laughs) Right. And you have like tons of people that have told you, you know, our culture doesn't value it, you know, that that sort of thing. And so you have to overcome that by creating everyday experiences that tell you the opposite Mm. until you really start to believe it. And that actually takes a lot of time because how long have you been conditioned to think the, the safest quote unquote safest thing to do is to find a job that you clock in and out of. Right. It's that, your subconscious is sitting there just telling you like, oh, this is, this is going to fail. Gonna work. This is yeah. going to fail. Even if your conscious yeah. mind's like, oh, I know I can make this. Yeah. I know I can do it. Th- there's part of you that's still like, oh, you're going to, you're going to die. Yeah, <laughs> like that yeah. Situation. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I totally get that. Cause I was stuck at my job for a long time, just yeah. shoving money into my 401k mm-hmm. and my Roth. And I was like, uh, I shouldn't make, I shouldn't jump into this yeah. real estate deal. And I mean, for me, it was because I had to, yeah. my, my parents went through a, um, foreclosure and bankruptcy oh, yeah, yeah. and I had to buy yeah. my property so I kind of like fell into it yeah. and I, if I didn't have that moment I would have never touched real estate oh, wow yeah you know so I, I do I mean like I, said, I really do uh, like your idea of manifestation but where do you get resources to learn mm. that or like where visualization uh, manifestation is there like one resource for that or did you just go through multiple are there books or anything that you look into looked into yeah yeah there's definitely like books and teachers um, uh, Dr. Joe Dispanza is a really mm. great manifestation coach. Uh, he's sort of like the Tony Robbins of manifestation. <laughs> okay. Um, he's, he's got a really interesting story because um, back in like 70s or 80s, he was um, running or he was cycling in a triathlon and when a car hit him at 55 miles an hour and broke six of his vertebrae. Mm. And he was a chiropractor at the time, he had a chiropractor practice. And he talked to a bunch of surgeons and they all said he'd never walk again. And they told him he'd have to do this really complicated surgery that would basically just preserve him either in like a sitting or 
sleeping position for the rest mm-hmm. of his life. And he was like, no, I'm, I don't believe that. And he went home and like four hours a day, every day for like 10 weeks, he would just like visually reconstruct his spine and his mind's eye. Mm. And because he was a chiropractor, he knew what that looked like, right? All the different ligaments and, and bones and such. And so after 10 weeks, he actually started walking again. And after 12 weeks, he was back on his bicycle. And doctors do not understand how you could heal six <laughs> ruptured vertebrae in 10 weeks because that's like not right. <laughs> medically um, possible, but he did. And then he realized he wanted to switch careers and teach people how to manifest because he did that with his own body. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Huh. Yeah. So what are what are you, what are you working on at your free <laughs> yeah. manifestation now? Yeah, yeah. So it's so funny because the reason that we met is I had done this uh, speech in, at the Salem real estate event, and we were talking in the back of the room, and there was a guy that was so skeptical about the process of manifestation and kept drilling me about like, but how does it work scientifically? <laughs> what is a vibration? <laughs> you know, like sort of like going in, and, and you just turned to me and you said, well, what are you trying to manifest right now? And I said, well, I'm mostly trying to manifest, or not you, but the guy that he was with said, um, and I said, I'm mostly trying to manifest podcasts and speaking opportunities right now so I can get my message out. And not even 20 seconds later, you walked up to me. <laughs> and as this guy was drilling me, you know, like, but how do you know? And you said, hey, I loved your talk. I'd love for you to be on my podcast. And in that moment, I was like, case in point. <laughs> I put a vibration out there. I have an intent. I think about it often. And it just comes to me, um, not because I'm not trying. It's not a passive it's not a passive thing. It's like you're you're orienting your life towards this vision. I'm I'm doing lots of active things that would get me onto a podcast. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, positive energy towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that just kind of orientates your actions yeah. towards making those things happen. Yes, exactly. By like I said, going to the speaking event. Like, yeah. if you didn't have that intention of obviously being in more speaking events yeah. and getting on podcasts, you wouldn't put yourself in a position to put yourself out there. Yeah, exactly. So I I, I don't. I used to think of manifestation and visualization as like kind of voodoo. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. I'm putting this energy out. <laughs> so but voodoo. at the end of the day, it's just it's it's just orientating yeah. yourself towards yeah. action. In yeah, a sense, absolutely. So. You're preparing yourself for the opportunity when it arrives, and if you're not prepared for that, you will actually not even see it. It'll just pass right in front <clears> of you. But when you're actively training your mind to see opportunity and to recognize it, then when it comes, then you'll see it. And like, so what am I working on right now? Like, um, so right now I'm actually uh, working on starting a a private practice and coaching services for other people, uh, teach them how to (laughs) do these same things. Um, It's called uh, Mental Wealth Therapist. Uh, And so that'll be launching uh, next week and I'll start taking on uh, either therapy or coaching clients. Um, But I think that'll be really synergistic for, you know, the speaking that I'm doing and also um, the real estate stuff that I'm doing. And and I'm also working on a book right now. Oh, fantastic. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Wow, I mean, you got so much going on. Obviously, you have your <laughs> properties, you have your real yeah. estate team, you have your coaching. Obviously, you're doing podcasts and speaking yeah. opportunities. How do you manage everything? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, I've part of my success is I've learned early on to delegate things. So, I have a personal assistant that does a lot of my home responsibilities. And I also have a personal assistant that does most of my work responsibilities as a realtor. And so that frees me up Mm. to have the capacity to build other businesses and to envision the life that I want for myself. Yeah, I like that having one for the for the home and one for the for the work that makes a lot of sense. Mm. So what um, it sounds like you're working on a book, Um, real estate wise, what is your kind of are you to the point where you're no longer going crazy trying to find deals because you have that sort of passive income that you can Mm -hmm. kind of feel free to pursue other like other things like coaching and writing a book or are you still kind of trying to 
even out your portfolio? What's mm-hmm. your kind of, I guess, your five-year or longer-term plan in, in real estate? Yeah, so the last few years, I've mostly focused on um, putting money into more passive syndication deals. Mm. I'm kind of at my capacity for what I can self-manage in Portland, Mm -hmm. and then um, I have that 120 unit in Ohio. And so over the next few years, my goal is to continue to pour into more of those passive um, cash flow-centered um, uh, funds, and then uh, just consolidate over time, either either you know selling things and trading it more for cash flow mm. in those funds, or um, trading up and, and you know doing 1031 exchanging over time to keep that that part of my portfolio growing. I've seen that with some of the higher level investors that they kind of move towards syndications because mm-hmm. it's just so much more passive. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the return isn't quite the, the mm. same, but you don't have to deal with it. Um, those seem to be like a little bit different in sort of the evaluation in the sense that like you can't put your hands on them in the same way as you know mm-hmm. a duplex or a triplex. Yeah. Um, is there is there some sort of process that you've followed for mm-hmm. for kind of vetting those deals and um, is there an area that you focus on or a type? That's a great question. So. I was also very resistant to doing syndications because I really like having control of my projects and understanding all the minutia. Um, but I had some friends that I met who retired when they were 30. Um, <laughs> so they make me look slow at 35. Um, but they they basically um, sold a handful of properties that they had bought um, while they were engineers here in Portland. And half of the money they invested in buying a whole bunch of, you know, like kind of crappy houses in the South, basically, and the uh-huh. other half they invested um, in syndications. And the way that they, um, what they taught me is there's this group called the 506 group. Um, and it's about a few thousand investors, um, like average net worth is about 5 million. So you have, you know, savvy folks who have been uh, building wealth for a while. And collectively, we do due diligence on these sponsors. So it's Mm. almost like a private Facebook, if you will. And we collectively, we do third party audits, we do background (coughs) checks, we we Mm. basically gather a lot of information. Collectively, it reduces the risk because there's a lot of people looking at it at the same time. I see. So it's you're kind of pooling your information. It'd be like when I ask a broker friend if we're trying to take on a new yeah. wholesaler, it's like, what's the deal what with them? What are they like? Like, are, oh, do they yeah. close on time type yeah, thing? exactly. And so all these syndications you're getting into, they're like ones for accredited investors, not yeah. just the, front, the friends and family syndications. Those yeah. ones yeah, I can't really trust. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, friends. Yeah, these are all for syndication, uh, you know, for accredited investors, basically. And so... Oh, uh, and can you also explain what an accredited yeah. investor is? Yeah, so to become an accredited investor, it's not like you take a test or anything, although they have been promoting that. You can start doing that. Um, (laughs) uh, Basically, you just have to make, as a single person, $200,000 going two years back and expecting that to go forward. Um, And everything counts. Rental income, your job, Mm -hmm. um, even some of the benefits you get if if you have a job that gives you benefits. Um, But $200,000. If you're a couple, it needs to be $300,000. Or you can attain it by having a million dollars in net worth. And so for most of the people that I'm talking to are getting into real estate, they don't have the equity side. They don't have the net worth. But after a few properties, it doesn't take that many properties before you'd have uh, 200000 of passive uh, not you know, passive income coming in minus expenses, maybe not that much cash flow. Right, but, but it's it's about the gross. The gross income, right? you yeah. Don't, they don't care about all exactly. the, um, the the mortgage interest and yeah. whatever else you're writing off. Yeah, it's basically like four duplexes. Once you have four duplexes, you don't even need a job. Yeah. <laughs> or it, two with a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and where would you get accredited? Like, how, how oh, do yeah. they 
check your obviously all the stuff like who where, do, where would I go to get accredited yeah so there's websites that you can do that and you just upload your taxes and they look at them um, also you can get a letter from your CPA which is what I did mm. that just like you know testified to that um, but yeah there's websites that'll just literally look at your tax statements and make sure your AGI is above 200k twice but typically the syndication offering will want you to submit yeah that, that, that letter. letter yeah they, they want proof of it um, and it's for their safety too you know the reason that they are able to get that um, status uh, as a syndication, a private equity fund, that sort of thing, is because they're only allowing accredited investors. So if they would get in trouble if you snuck in. Um, it would be bad for them. There's like an SEC violation. Yeah, it'd be an yeah. SEC violation. Mm -hmm. And I think that rule's in place. They're just trying to, you know, the assumption is that if you have that much money that you're good with money and that you're not going to get taken advantage of by a company. Um, who doesn't know what they're doing, basically. Right. You don't want the Wolf of Wall Street making you yeah. spend all your money on penny stocks, basically. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. And the average person, you know, doesn't necessarily have the financial IQ to, to determine what, whether it's a good deal or not. Right. Got it. Well, I, I would say this. Uh, obviously, you got started with very little, uh, yeah. but we have a lot of uh, listeners who haven't gotten started in real estate. Yeah. So what would you tell a first-time investor on how to get started? Yeah, I would say I think the first step is starting to surround yourself with people who are doing it mm. um, because m for the average person, real estate investing sounds scary and big and overwhelming. And so if you have actual examples of people who are just normal people like yourself, right. you'd be surprised and amazed to see how normal real estate investors are. <laughs> um, you can start to imagine it for yourself. And so I think that's a first step. So going to like local uh, RIA groups, um, being on bigger pockets, networking that way, literally taking out somebody for coffee is, is a big way that I that I grew. Um, like yep. just every time I went to an event, it was always on my goal to ask somebody out who I thought was smarter than me and more um, further along in their journey. And I would just take them out and I would ask them what 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 do they think I should do, and I would do it. You know what's funny is like I've I've done that as well, and you don't always. They're not always smarter than yeah, you. Yeah, they're not always. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they're brasher. They're you know like you know everybody has their flaws. Yeah, and of course. You know everybody's a unique person, so. Never get intimidated and just yeah. put yourself out there and find out. Yeah, you yeah. Know. You can just learn from. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good learning opportunity either way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, and you might find ways that like that you can add value to mm -hmm. that person. Yeah. There's some, maybe there's something that they're missing or that you're good at, whether it's professional, personal, et cetera, that you can add value to their life too. Yeah, I encourage you, like, take them out to coffee, figure out, you know, what can you learn from them, but also what can you provide back to them? Because that's going to be the person or those will be the people you call when you're trying to figure out if your deal's any good. <laughs> and so you want to make sure that they like you, that they right. want to answer that phone call, that you've brought something to their life. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a great way to build a network. Love it. Fantastic. Yeah. And if for our listeners, if someone wanted to kind of follow you and, and you know, f find out more about your coaching or your real estate mm -hmm. world or eventually your book, where, where's the best place to find you? Yeah. So I'm just starting to launch it. It'll probably be out in the next week or two. But mentalwealththerapist.com okay. will be uh, the URL. Same thing for Instagram, mentalwealththerapist. Um, so I'll be launching that in the next few weeks. And um, my book will be called Being Rich is Gay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So also we'll have an Instagram at some point. That's a little, that's further out. We've only got a few chapters done. And it's going to take at least a year. So that'll be a little further out. Fantastic. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and, yeah. and your insight um, and, you know, wish you the best. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. 
If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.